Welcome to Faith with Haith. Uh, I'm Jamie Haith, and uh, I am here today with a friend of mine. We were doing uh, a food bank the other day, weren't we, Gav? This is Gav Cutler. Hi, Gav. Hi, Jamie. How you doing, mate? We, okay. we, were, doing a, we were doing a food bank over in uh, North Kensington, and we got chatting oh. about life and faith and that sort of thing, and we thought it'd be a good opportunity to, to jump on here. Yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah, definitely. Tell us about the food bank, first of all. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm an ordinand at a uh, church in Kensington. and as Well, back of, up, back up, back up. What okay. is an ordinand when it's what, a ordinand? An ordinand is a trainee vicar. Um, so I'm year two of a three-year uh, degree at a college in um, Kensington. And, yeah, with God's will, hopefully we'll be ordained into the Anglican Church um next july as in july 2021 so you're a baby vicar you're well you're not even a baby vicar you're a fetal vicar (laughs) no (laughs) one's called it that yet (laughs) (laughs) let let me be the first um i mean your story is really quite amazing and doing the food bank with you and i've met you on a couple of other occasions and getting to know you it's not what you would have expected you're 36 now 36 yeah this is not what you would have expected for your life becoming a vicar definitely not on the agenda (laughs) (laughs) where did you grow up let's go right back to the beginning okay so i grew up um in a village called downth in kent near dartford people normally say oh dartford tunnel um but yeah probably about six miles away from the dartford tunnel hang on a second hang on a second were you born in kent yeah dartford me too I was Where? born in Gillingham. Oh, the Jules. boys. We are. Yeah. Oh, no, more posh than Dartford. I'm not sure. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah, probably. I'm, I am actually really posh. Really, yeah. really. No, I'm not. Okay, so you, were, you so grew up there. Uh, Mum, dads, brothers, yeah. sisters. So I'm the oldest of three. Um, I've got a, a brother. Middle, brother was second, and then my sister was um, the third born. Um, but I'm the oldest. Mum and dad... Um, they still live in Kent. Well, they've moved away from Dartford. They've moved down to the coast, to um, to Herne Bay. Oh, I like Herne Bay. So, did they um, take you to church growing up? Was it? Uh, did you have a Christian upbringing? So, no. Um, they took me to church to get me christened, baptized um, yep. as a baby, um, and it literally was you know baby in arms. I think I was three months old um, when they did that. Um, but that really was it for me for church. I, I went a few times with my nan. Um, sort of in between probably seven to ten years old. Um, there was the odd occasion where I might stay at her house over the weekend, and part of that would be that she she went to church on Sunday. She would so she would take take me along with her. Um, but there was definitely no sort of burning desire to want to go to church growing up. Was it a happy childhood? Happy in the sense of um, as a household. Definitely, um, like in terms of my mum, my dad. Um, you know, you fight with your brothers and sisters growing up, but we, we all got, we all get along and still do. Um, but there was trauma amongst growing up from outside influences. I would say. Can you can you talk about that at all? Of course I can. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's a to bullet point, and then you can maybe go into stuff if you wanted to further. But um, I was sexually abused by. Um, my mum's uncle, um, 
growing up and um there was two attempted abductions um by complete strangers who i didn't know um in the area where i lived that were tried to be pulled into to cars um seriously yeah <laughs> how did you get away um it's funny it's a funny story to look back on now um just because of the of the coincidence of how it all happened but the first the fir- first time it was um there was two men walking up the road i was on my drive actually and they had a box and they pulled a box out while i was on the drive i was young i was on roller skates as well i can still remember trying to get away while i was learning to be on roller skates but i managed to so I, don't, I don't know if it was a if it was them joking or if it was a threat but it felt very real probably at the age of seven years old or so yeah. um and I ran indoors and my mum came out to see them running up the road with this. The box was massive. It was like child size. You could fit a child in it. So it wasn't, it might have been an overreactive imagination, but it felt very real to me. Um, but the, the the result of that was that I then went into mad paranoia and didn't leave the house other than to go to school um, for probably about a year or so. Um, I mean, it got to the point where I just thought everybody wanted to abduct me. Um, yeah. You know, if we pulled up in, and I was in the back of the car and my mum or dad had to post a letter in the letterbox, I would hide behind the back of the driver's seat while I literally popped out two yards, posted the letter and get and put it and get back in the car because I thought someone might jump in the other side of the car and, and, and rip me out. It was, a, it was a real fear for me. Um, That's but, a huge burden for a little kid to be. Yeah. And then a couple of the, I say, the timings escaped me, but probably like, 12, 18 months um, later, there was a friend around the, around the road, around the corner. We lived on like a cul de on a block, and she lived in the cul de sac of the block. Um, she had a little boy, and basically, she built up my confidence, um, my friend's mum, to, to start getting me to leave my house. So she would say, Do you want to come and play in the summer holidays? I'd be like, Yep. And she'd walk around and meet me at the end of my drive. And it was, a, you know, it's a, my drive was probably like, 15 20 foot long being you know enough to put a car on it just walking from my door to that drive was a big deal for me um and then she built it up so the next day she'd then meet me at the end of the drive of the house next door so i'd have to then dart round to her and then we'd walk round to her home and so forth until the day when she's probably after like i don't know probably in like three or four weeks of this moving further and further away as i walked to meet her um she gave me a whistle and said, I'm, I'm gonna, she rang me, she said, right, if there's any problems, blow the whistle and um, I'll be there in a flash. So it's my first trip to do it on my own. And someone, tried, <laughs> this is a bit where I can look back on it and laugh, but someone tried to snatch me on that first journey of doing it on my own. No, um, you're kidding. I kid you, you kidding not. I kid you not. And um, the last thing I had was any breath in me to be able to blow that whistle. Um, I, I was... Um, so I just went the opposite direction to the car and um, obviously right, but it's like I was running in slow motion is the only way I can explain it. Oh, that's horrible. It's like one of those dreams where you can't. Yeah. Do you know, I don't know if you ever jumped into a pool of ice cold water. Uh, it, it takes all your, all your breath oh, out. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. It was kind of like that was the feeling. Um, so, so then that was it back into hiding, like into hiding again for like another year or so. But I can't ever remember. I obviously did um obviously face it and overcome it because now there's no fear of walking home in the dark or anything like that um growing up now do you mind me asking what what happened to your your mum's uncle yeah of course no problem um so 
um, without going into too much graphic detail, but basically um, he um, he was actually, I think he was the church warden of a church down in, um, uh, yeah, in Devon, I think it was. And um, my nan lived across the road. And by across the road, I mean literally across the road. Um, and we used to go over there and have breakfast with her before school as kids growing up. Um, and then one day my mum said, um, I've got some some good news. My uncle is coming to live with Nanny. And I can just remember thinking, there was always something a little bit that um, concerned me about him, but I couldn't put it, you know, I couldn't articulate it maybe growing up as a, as a child. But I remember thinking that's not, wasn't good news. And then I don't remember how long it took, how long after him moving in, but a, he, he started to abuse me. It was, he had a computer upstairs in his bedroom, um, a PC computer. And I was quite good with computers, like setting them up word you know nothing yeah. not gaming but more the technical side growing up um and uh i was asked he, he said could you help me set it up right so i installed a program i can't really quite remember the detail but um, anyway i just remember going upstairs no one was in there. my nan wasn't in that day and um he was sat behind some behind me on the bed as i was sat on the chair at the desk if you like and then he just yeah, started to abuse me whilst. Yeah. Uh, but I was, again, it, with that, I mean, people might be listening to this that have been in that situation of how these scenarios start and, and pan them out. But I couldn't stop him. And I was quite, I felt like I was quite old. I felt like I, and I should have been able to say no. I was like sort of probably 12, 13 years old. Whereas I feel, I've always felt like I was, I feel like that's quite I feel like that's like an adult. I know it's not, but in my head, does that make sense? Like I still, yeah. It's like, it's uh, the, it, what's what's extraordinary? You hear this a lot from abuse survivors: is the power of shame, it's, and, yeah. how, and how it prevents you from. We almost feel like freezes you in the moment because you you assume that a it's either not happening or it's just in your imagination. But then once things start to progress, you you think it's your fault. Hundred percent. Um, and then you're sort of frozen into into that status, that and it's so hard to break out of it. Did he? Um, what happened to him? Did he face the police? Did um, yeah? Funnily enough, I just really. Um, I was going to say it's a funny story, but it's not. Um, but um, he abused other members of my family without naming people who it was, um, how they were related. Um, but basically, um, it was. It was years later, so I think it was like we'll get on to my sort of later teens life. We went down to um, my parents. I said I moved down to Herne Bay, and we had like a they had a second home there, which we used to go and and stay at. But this one weekend, it was available, so I went down there with my friends, and you know, as young men, eighteen, nineteen, you get up to things that you probably shouldn't be doing. And um, anyway, I had a really good weekend, um, and it, I came home from work on the Monday afternoon evening and as i pulled up two um, plainclothes police officers pulled up and they said oh we're from um canterbury police and i was i remember thinking what did i get up to <laughs> <laughs> at the weekend the mind starts racing back <laughs> yeah the, that, that, that fear that comes over you like a wave and like a dark mist so i was like um 
I was like, can we speak to to your um, you, like your mum and dad? I was like, yeah, they're in there. I remember getting in the turning the car back around and, and going round to my friend's house who I'd spent the weekend with, and then I got a phone call from my parents maybe an hour or so later saying, can you come home? And he, my my um, my mum's uncle had moved down. No, no, it wasn't coming. So he just moved down to to Herne Bay, um, and he'd then um, proceeded to abuse basically people, children in the Herne Bay area. Um, and the police had caught up with him and arrested him, and he admitted to the crimes. And it wasn't until then, uh, I think he must have been eighteen, that we found out who the other people like, that he'd abused other people in the family. Like, but none of us had spoken about it to each other. If that makes sense. So. We'd all carried that shame and carried that fear. So I suppose um, it, it, it's, I mean, the, it, the good news is that he faced justice and so there was closure for you, which there isn't for a lot of people. But yeah. um, having said that, you still, everybody still has to deal with the burden of that having happened to them. What was the, how did it impact your, your mid-teens, late-teens? Um... My, my, my teens ways, I kind of buried it in me. Um, and if I'm honest with you, Jamie, like, um, it weren't until probably three or four years ago, I've, that, that I probably officially dealt with it, if that makes sense, in the sense yeah. that um, I've forgiven him. I've, I've forgiven him maybe... It's gonna, it sounds like I'm going to contradict myself, but I'm definitely not. I've, I forgave him probably four or five years ago, but two or three years ago, I went for counselling um, and we discussed this and I came, but I'd already forgiven him at this point, but um went for counselling. I remember, you know, talking, is, it, is the word explicitly about what, you know, like, um, graphically about the events of what happened with someone obviously that I didn't know. And I, um, I came home and I was, I was actually physically sick from it. I remember coming home and my wife was like, how was, how was counselling tonight? And um, I started to tell her, not, again, I couldn't tell my wife about the, the graphical side of it, but um, I ended up just vomiting in the, um, in the bathroom. And wow. it must have been a massive release. That I, I mean, I've been carrying that probably for... I don't know, nearly 25 years, I suppose, in me, yeah. but I just didn't know that. I thought, oh, yeah, I've dealt with it. I've forgiven him. And I categorically had. Do you know what I mean? Like it, I, I'd said that if I'd bumped into him, you know, four four or five years ago, I'd definitely, and, or if he'd reached out to me and said, can we talk, like he did at the time, back when I was 18, once he got arrested, once he admitted to the crime. So he said he wanted to apologise to, to the victims, which I said no to. Um... But now, sort of around the age of sort of 30, 31, I, if he'd asked me that, I would have said, yeah. And I, I, something, I, it's forgiveness is a thing that I've gone through. And um, I now see him and people that, that, that do abuse. Some people might disagree with what I'm going to say here. Um, but I see him as people that are just unwell. And it's, um, I, feel, I feel like they, we're going to get on to um, addiction, which is something that I've... Um, suffered with suffer with um and i see it as it's a a bit like an addiction i i I would that's how i i how how i interpret people that abuse i can't imagine it's something they want to do no it's amazing Um, when you talk about forgiveness i'd love to to come back on that 
in a little mm. while if if I can. But let's 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 talk about the addiction side of things because uh, you were telling me that really for you, uh, drugs and alcohol started through your teens, um, about seventeen. Correct. Yeah. Probably to sort of like escape reality or. Oh, do you know what? I don't even know where it came from. I think um, I don't think it was an escape. Escaping a reality. I think it was more of a fun thing for me. Okay. And it was, it was kind of like a rebelling thing to... What was um, your go-to? Was it drugs? Um, I started, I started off with alcohol. I started off with alcohol quite young, maybe like 14. Okay. Um, the drugs came later. But like alcohol in just terms of like um, lager, like not even strong lagers, I would put it probably like Heineken Fosters. At like 14, just like... Um, park, down the park on a Friday night, that sort of thing. You know, like, that's quite, I mean, that's, that, yeah, that's pretty intense though, because at that age, your palate pretty much rejects anything vaguely bitter. So, yeah, you know, I mean, but you just do it because, well, I just did it because that's what, uh, that's what we did. Do you know what I mean? It's keeping yeah. up a, um, peer pressure, isn't it? Um, so, yeah, alcohol, but nothing to the point where I was like, I'm an addict. Do you know what I mean? At that point. Um, I don't feel like I was an addict really until probably 27, maybe 25, 26, 27. So you're right into your work life then. And what was your, what was your go-to, what was your weapon of choice then? Coke or? Cocaine. Yeah. Yeah. Cocaine. Um, I mean, it's interesting. I started off with the alcohol when I was, um, say like 14 and then I started smoking cigarettes that was that was to try and make me look older trying to get into nightclubs at like <laughs> 16 17 i thought if i walked up to the door smoking a cigarette that would make me look older um and then that progressed on to like smoke well if cigarettes make you feel lightheaded what does marijuana do and then ecstasy um and then onto cocaine within, we try and have a little um, other types of drugs within that um sort of one once off but cocaine was some ecstasy and cocaine were big things for me um ecstasy at first and then i sort of grew out of ecstasy if you like so i couldn't i couldn't maintain the buzz if you like of that um and cocaine i could do i could go about everyday life doing that whereas ecstasy kind of would put you into or put me into a stupor in the corner if that makes sense so it wasn't so you're not just there's a difference isn't there between drugs and alcohol alcohol very few people actually drink at work um, they might go for a sneaky liquid lunch, but nothing, yeah. yeah, exactly. But, but there's, are you saying there's people that are, there's quite a lot of people, few people work. that are Doing work. basically high the whole time they're at work in order to get through? Uh, from my experience. Yeah. Categorically from my experience, I was one of those people. Um, but yeah, I worked with people that, Yeah. So know. when you woke up in the morning, did you have to have a line first first thing? Or I mean, just... if I had it there from the night before, I would have done it, but that was never, I wouldn't have gone to bed until I'd done it all. Um, that but must yeah. be very expensive, apart from anything. I mean, yeah, my, my cocaine addiction um, at the end was sort of 1500 to £2,000 a month on Ooh. the cocaine. Um, yeah, which was expensive to me. There might be people listening to this thinking, oh, I'm, uh, yours was only 1500 Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. There might be other people here think, like, I do that a week. <laughs> I've, I've heard those stories as well. Um, 
but it was expensive. Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of money, isn't it? What does it feel like when you're um, you're at work and the the I've never taken cocaine, so I don't know. Is it a buzz? Is it a um, and then what happens when you start to come down from that? Is there a, a sort of an anxiety that grips you? You've just got to have another hit. Um, I think I don't even know. I, don't, I look back at it now, and I don't even know why I did it at work. I mean, I do because it was an addict, but I don't even know why it sort of there was an appeal to it. Like why it even started off as why did that ever become a good idea? <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah. I understand why it would be a good idea of a weekend and that, but I never imagined it that first time I ever done it on a Friday or Saturday night that first time whenever it was that it would evolve into a daily and everyday occurrence. Um, in terms of what does it, it get just built up paranoia really to uh, doing it at work. Yeah. I still couldn't stop myself from doing it at work. Um, which I suppose is the addiction part, right? Um, is yeah. it a substitute? Is it trying to, is there an, an emptiness? Is there, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but what, why do people, get addicted is it love that's missing is it uh, purpose is it what is it well you're going back to what you said at the beginning um before we moved on to addiction about was it was i trying to like um use it to block out maybe the abuse or the uh, you know, attempted deductions like trauma as a child was it that but then i look through going through a 12-step recovery program um and looking at addiction and, and learning some stuff about the disease of addiction because it is a disease. I, I see, I said that we had this house at Herne Bay um, as teenagers, but before that we had a caravan down on the coast at Herne Bay, which had its own amusement park and any money I'd get, if my granddad gave me a pound for an ice cream or if I got you know 50 quid for my birthday money, I'd put it all into the fruit machine until it was gone. And it's that obsess- obsessive compulsive sort of addictive personality that imbalance maybe i'd say in my brain from seven years old that probably was um i can look back now and see that i've always had that sort of tendency to do everything to the extreme but not being able to recognize it until it was too late being a cocaine addict and having to go through recovery to to learn and understand that about myself when Um, did you when did the you went to aa na um ca cocaine anonymous okay when, when all, in essence they are all the same they all oh. work so um for people that don't know about cocaine anonymous or anonymous groups you get given a book when you arrive which is called the big blue book or the book of alcoholics anonymous so it doesn't matter if you're doing if it's cocaine addiction sex addiction you know eating addiction you'd still use the alcoholics anonymous book because it's that's what's proven. That's what's worked. I and mean, it's just the, the name on the group, which is different. And they've adapted a few little bits within it. But in terms of the work, the 12 step program that you go through, um, it's the same across all the different anonymous groups. I remember being in, uh, in church years ago and this really cool guy comes up to me and, uh, it was the end of the service. And, and we'd said, look, if you want someone to pray for you, then come to the front. And this guy came to the front cap on oakley shades up on his cap and you know big muscly guy stands there he stands there looking at me i said you're all right he says no <laughs> i said what's going on he said i'm shaking i've just been shaking and crying through the whole service what's happening i said oh that's interesting uh, he said my mum dragged me along 
last week and the same thing happened i came by myself this week i've never been to church before what's going on i said well i think that's maybe just god showing you that he's here and he's yeah. real and uh what would you like to pray and he said uh yes i would wow. and he prayed that night to become a christian his name was chris and uh and uh, then he came on the alpha course we, i've mentioned the alpha course on one of these pods before it's a so 10 week, about 10 week course and exploring life and introduction to Christianity. So he comes on that. He's in my small group and uh, it's about six weeks in. And he said, can I have a word? So we went to one side and he said, look, I've waited this long to tell you because I wanted to actually see that it was true. But something happened in me that night that you prayed for me in church. He said, up until that point, I was spending about 150 pounds a week on cocaine. Mm. and." Uh, you know, I was totally addicted. And he said, something in my physical chemistry changed that night. And I left the church and I went to the same restaurant and restaurants then in the days to come that I would go to and I could physically smell it on people and it made me feel sick. Wow. And uh, he was, I would say, he was sort of delivered of that addiction. Yeah, it was a total miracle. Now, the interesting thing is he said, he was also addicted to alcohol and that didn't go immediately. No. So he then you know, booked into a 12 step program and that's how he got off alcohol. Um, and that was really interesting to me that, that God is, it, he, both of them are a miracle, you know, yeah. the 12 step, the process of that for, for him, he needed that for, and I would say to anyone that's you know, ever had an addiction or is struggling, it's just good to talk about stuff and be real about it. Whether yeah. there is a sort of a moment where, where it seems like a miraculous release from it. But even though I think the process side of things is just as much a miracle. And uh, it did make me giggle because he said, he told me how he was on AA. And yeah. uh, you're, you're encouraged to pray to a higher power, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, who, did you, who did you pray to at that point? Um, so, um, so I went to, to CA. You know, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, of AA and told to pray to this higher power and I remember sitting there thinking but I don't believe in God so I'm not going to do the praying bit um but that's it was you know it was required you know step one was to believe in a power greater than yourself to help you overcome so I was like okay because I was baptized as a baby three months old I don't even remember the service um but that because I've been given that gift of baptism is how I describe it now um I, pray, I prayed to, to God. That was who it was. Um, but um, it took me probably nearly 14 months to actually start to even understand if that God might even be real. Um, but I, so it sounds, it sounds like you made a, a wise choice. That, the thing that made me giggle, Chris told me, was that he was on Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, his friend on it, when they were talking about a higher power, he was a lifelong supporter of Brentford football team. So that's who he prayed to. Excellent. <laughs> if you're going to choose a football team, you probably wouldn't choose Brentford. Don't choose that one. <laughs> no offense to any Brentford fans listening. <laughs> they say God works in mysterious ways. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. So, so that's, that's a big part of your story. But, Massive, but, but, and they probably, you know in this time of covid at the moment where you know i was hearing at the weekend on the, on our church service our our vicar was saying that the word pr um prayer 
that Google search has gone up. I don't know what the, I can't remember what the percentage was, but the amount of people typing how do I pray or prayer into Google yeah. has spiked since this COVID lockdown period that we've been in. And um, it, as he said it on yesterday, Sunday, um, I remember thinking to myself, um, it reminded me of my journey of how I came to faith and and praying to this higher power. And yeah, I mean, if I'm just taking something from this podcast if someone was listening to this podcast that was thinking about is there a god and how do i pray maybe they might feel encouraged by the, how what i did is my i can remember saying to i got a sponsor that first week i went into recovery to 12 step and he gave me a list of suggestions which was to pray to a higher power it was to read a few pages of the big book of alcoholics anonymous write a gratitude list every day and, and a few other things to, to, to abbreviate it and um, so i did as i was suggested for a week and I remember ringing my sponsor at the end of that week and saying, I've been doing X, Y, and Z. And um, he said, have you been doing your prayers? And I said, I have, but I'd like to speak to you about that because I, I wanted to drop them. And there might be people listening to this that have never prayed before or have prayed and just feel like they're talking to themselves. Yeah. Um, there may be even Christians that pray and sometimes they've gone through periods of where they felt like that, actually. Um, but I just felt like the praying, I used, I used to, every morning I ask God for a clean day. And at the end of that day, thank him for a clean day. And it never felt long enough, that prayer. Dear God, please keep me clean today. Amen. Um, so I always used to add the Lord's Prayer on the, onto the end of it, just to make it feel like I'd done a, like a decent little bit of prayer time. Um, Sounds good. Yeah. Um, but it never felt like I was connecting. It just felt like I was talking to myself. And my sponsor said to me, have you done drugs this week? To which I said, no. And he said, well, it must be doing something then. And yeah, it, 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 it hit me. I was like, because well, I, I thought I hadn't done drugs this week. Bear in mind, I'd done drugs pretty much every day for the last 12 years. Um, I was too scared to drop it now. I was like, well, I better not drop it just in case it is doing something, just, just in case I do relapse um, or, or do fall. So I did it every, every morning and every night. I prayed to, to a God that I didn't believe in on my knees, as I was told to. Um, I felt ashamed of by doing it because I felt, like I said, there wasn't a God, but I was talking to myself. So I used to lock myself in the bathroom and do it so that none of my family would see me. And um, yeah, it, like I said, it's probably tw- it's about 12 to 14 months later that I was invited on, as you mentioned earlier, an alpha course. Um, and well, I wanted that's to- where faith came alive for you. Massively. So, you know, I'd had a year's, a good year's sobriety behind me now. Um, when I say a good year, uh, there had been relapse in there. I wasn't like your friend Chris, where someone prayed for me and bang, the disease of cocaine addiction was riddled from my blood, gone, evaporated yeah. from my body. That wasn't my journey. There was relapse in that as well, like one night yeah. sessions. Um, yeah, and that that is part of addiction. That's that's probably many people's um, recovery stories. It's rare that you hear someone who's been prayed for and been delivered straight away. Yeah, sure. I don't know the answer to why Jesus does that for some and doesn't do it for others. Um, But yeah. So he, um, I went on Alpha and my reason for going on Alpha was not to find God. It was to learn how to pray. And I look back at it now and I think, who was you going to pray to, Gav? (laughs) I kind of... (laughs) You might as well have just done it all. (laughs) Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I um, I went on the um, I went on that course, and if there's anybody listening to this has not looked at Alpha, I'd highly recommend that you look at Alpha.org and and get yourself onto that. It's in this COVID period at the moment, 
Alpha has now gone online. So you don't even need to go into a church building. If you go to alpha.org, you'll be able to get signed up to start a group. I think they start every week on a Wednesday. Um, Probably even put in a false name. <laughs> so, put in a false name. Don't even need to turn your camera on. I don't recommend you do. Maybe, um, but I've, I've just started leading a group actually with my wife last Wednesday and it's a lot more, um, I have my, my question marks over whether it was going to work, but um, week one went as well as if we was in a church building face to face. The team's done a really good job at moving that to online. So I'd highly recommend people exploring that if they have um, got spare time on their hands in COVID. Um, but went on the Holy Spirit weekend, which is a part of the course um, where you invite the Holy Spirit into your life. And um, I come away from that Holy Spirit weekend still with more questions probably than I had when I originally went, but I remember it was November driving along, um, driving home from picking up my children. I'd pick my children up. So my my wife, my, I've remarried now, but my first marriage to to my children's mother, um, we'd, we'd separated, um, and we had a massive, um, on the Friday of the weekend, um, I was arrested for sexual assault. Um, my, my, ex-wife had said that I'd sexually assaulted her which wasn't true but that's um I remember being stuck in a police cell Friday morning when I was due to be the driver to take everybody on the Holy Spirit weekend Friday evening oh um, yeah that's, and I that, remember, that's how, how do you explain that to the people exactly that well it's like you know, don't give you a phone when you're in a police cell um and I remember there was 23 people in custody in front of me and I remember thinking I'm in there for a very serious crime allegation um so I remember getting on my knees and praying the prayer, God, if you're real, show me, get me out of here. And um, within a few hours, I was released from, from custody. No, um, what's no prosecution. Yeah, no charges. Um, you know, the police even moved my car from across the road for me off of the, uh, out of the, because my ticket was going to expire and they gave me a lift to where they parked it in a residential street, which didn't require parking to be paid. Um, so anyway, I was driving home on the Monday after picking my children up from school and I've been to see my nan to tell my nan she was the only person who I knew was a Christian to tell her about my weekend away experience with the Holy Spirit and to so she could see the children. And I was driving home, it was November, it was raining and it was dark. I was in a country lane, it's probably seven o'clock maybe, dark November after, um, early evening. And I just thought to myself, next time I've got my children, I'm going to pray for them when we have something to eat at supper time. And I'm going to pray to, for them when I put them to bed so that they can see a distinctive difference. And dad who was a drug addict, to dad that's trying to walk a Christian life. I yeah. thought that'd be a good way of marking there's something distinctively different about me and, and me trying to be a father to them. And I just, they'd fallen asleep in the back of the car by now, but I just remember saying, dear God, I just pray for Holly and Joe, my children's names. And then I said, and Helen, who's um, my ex-wife. And as I said her name, my whole body, I was driving down the road, the radio was on, it was raining, <laughs> windscreen wipers were going, and that, that my whole body was consumed with this heat and this, it was like someone else, I can't describe it, Jamie, like in a way that makes it sound real, but it's like someone coming to my body and took control of the car and, and this voice said to me, that wasn't my voice, that Jesus is real, he's alive and he loves you. And I remember saying out loud, I, I'm not going to tell her that. Because I felt like the voice, the, the message was from my ex-wife. And I was like, no, I said, I'm not going to tell her that. And then it said it again, Jesus is real, he's alive and he loves you. And I said, okay. And then it was like I was back in the car. 
does that make sense? Like it's like an out, it's kind of like an out of body experience, but not. So I drove to my ex wife's house and she opened the door and I'm still literally covered. It looks like I swam there. It was that much sort of like <laughs> sweat pouring off of me. And this is the first time I've seen her since being arrested three days before. And she said to me, you okay? And I said, I need to come in. And I sent the children up to get their pajamas on. And I just said, I've been on this weekend and I've been told by Jesus that he's real, he's alive and he loves you. I said, and you know me, but I wouldn't tell you that if I, if it didn't happen. And then we held each other. We held each other. We were married for 10 years. Um, but it was like, as we held each other, she knows what it's like to hug me because we were married for 10 years, but it was, it, it was like the Holy Spirit was using me as a vessel to hug her. Is the only way I can describe it. Um, wow. And she's, you know, she cried, I cried, and then I left. And, um, and she's still on a journey to find God. Hope, you know, I pray one day that she will um, experience the Holy Spirit in the powerful way that I did. Um, How long ago was this? That was 2014. So we're 2020 now, so six years ago. Yeah. From that point, then you... That was it. It's, it's still quite a journey. Now, now you're a baby Yeah, yeah. I, I'm getting in the car, wanting to drive down the road, bibbing my horn, saying he's alive. And to go back, <laughs> why I went on Alpha was to learn how to pray. Like, do I need to be on my knees, locked in a bathroom? Or can I do it, you know, walking down the road or yeah. on the tube? Yeah. No, actually, you can do it driving along down the road with the music on. And the windscreen wipers go in with your eyes open, and God answered my reason for going on Alpha. Do I, you know, do I need to be on my knees? No, you can do it. You can pray in any way. Just you just got to do it, and just keep it simple. That was my. That's that's what I learned from yeah from that. Amazing. And now and now here you are. And one of the things that you're doing is going into prisons, going into yeah. one scrubs. Not at the moment because they put. A- <laughs> Yeah, that's right. Is it? Lockdown. No, one's um, no one's doing anything, which is a real, it's heartbreaking actually, hearing some of the stories. Um, which are, and, you, um, and the reason you're doing that is because you believe, I'm putting words in your mouth now, is because you believe that there is forgiveness for everyone. 100%. I've spoken to people um, in one prison. Um, it, was, it was actually my first ever talk that like, I'd done in a prison. I gave my testimony as I had to you and I spoke about forgiveness and I said about you know, I can categorically say that I've forgiven the man that abused me. Um, and I see it as, a, you know, talking about what I said about addiction, the disease of addiction, I actually see it as an addiction. I feel like, you know, maybe they can get rehabilitation. And maybe, like, maybe there's like, there could be a cause created, I don't know um, if there is, that can rehabilitate people that suffer with this um, so that they don't look at children in that way just like don't look at drugs in that way through addiction recovery um courses but this guy came up to me at the end um with tears in his eyes and he um he said do you honestly forgive him and i said yeah i do he said do you think do you think some people can forgive me one day um oh. and I'm like well jesus forgives you is what i said to him um but it gave him hope now i can't speak for i'm assuming i'm um that he was in there for that kind of crime. Yeah. Uh, he might have, you know, he might be in there, I don't know, for robbing people's houses and he, he's, and he wants forgiveness for that. But I'm, I'm only, assuming, I didn't ask him what his crime Wouldn't was. Wouldn't he have been I'm, in isolation if he was, or I don't know. No, no, not necessarily. Okay. Uh, they just tend to keep it on the low for what, no one talks about what crimes they're in there for, re- rarely. Yeah. They'll 
people don't really discuss what they're in there for. Um, from my experience, prisoners don't sort of talk about, I'm in for this, I'm in for that. Um, but but how yeah. Does, I mean, how does, in our sort of closing moments, I suppose, in, in, in our conversation, and it's amazing. What an amazing story, mate. You're, you're, now, you're now married again. I'm married again. We've got twins on the way. Twins on the way. Yeah. It's an extraordinary story. But I've got I, you a degree to do, so please pay for that. I'll get my degree <laughs> completed. When, when are the, <laughs> that's right. When are the babies due? September. So, uh, well, due October, but they'll probably arrive in September, um, they say, because um, twins oh. come a couple of weeks early. Well, God bless you with that. What, what um, I'd love to finish with is, is really honing in on that, homing in on that idea of forgiveness. Is it, is it a feeling? Is it a, how, how do you forgive? And we've all read amazing stories from Rwanda, South Africa, Northern Ireland, you know, where people have chosen to forgive. Yeah. Um, and then you see other, you, you hear other stories where people say, there is no way in a million years I'm ever going to forgive that person. And yeah. Because it feels like you're, you're lessening the crime by letting it go. Oh, you don't? I don't, I definitely, I know. I See, like you said, cho- forgiveness is a choice. Um, and I've chosen to forgive my abuser. Um, but I also think it's a process as well. Um, and my work for going into prisons as well and and understanding other people's lives and the marginalized and of people of society and hearing their stories of why i'm talking of all all kinds why they've chosen to um to commit that crime that most abusers have been abused themselves before and it creates a confusion you know as a child themselves so it's kind of like a learnt behaviour. So some people might be listening to this thinking, well, if they know what it felt like as a child, why are they then going on to do it to other children? Um, I think there's always a reason why someone's chosen to do something, whether that becomes an addict, then becomes an addiction later. I don't. So you're, that's very kind of you to put yourself into their shoes, but then what is the process that you go through and whether it's abuse or some relational issue or someone said rude things about you at work or how do you actually forgive someone how do you, what's the I process think, well the process for me is that you choose to do it and then you i mean me now as a vicar is then to try and do acts of kindness towards that person so not to talk badly about them not to, I'm not saying you're going to go and be best mates and go for a drink down the pub or a picnic with them in the park, but it's to, <laughs> it's to, it's to then move forward with your life. You know, as a wise person once said, um, not forgiving is like letting someone live rent free in your head. Um, the only person that's going to suffer is you, that person that that's, that you haven't forgiven. They don't care. They're getting on with their life. The only person that's going to suffer from that is you. Or forgiveness is like sitting in a rocking chair. Like you can go back and forwards, but it's, you're not going to get anywhere by by not choosing to forgive. Um, so there's, that, there's actually a, like a, a self-preservation in it. It's it's the ultimate selfish act because you're looking yeah. after yourself. I, I heard a great quote: uh, uh, "Unforgiveness is is equivalent to drinking 
poison yourself and expecting someone else to die. Yeah. And it's so true. And if you just think about that, that is what unforgiveness is. It is. It's, it's harming you. The only person suffering about it, the only person that's losing night's sleep about it is you. <laughs> the only person that's you know, taking days off of their life stressing about it is you. Whereas if you choose to forgive, you can then focus on the beauty of the world and the joy in life. Yeah. You know, what steals your joy is the not forgiving. Okay, let's do this. Um, we've got to close. Uh, but you are a vicar in training. You've talked about prayer. You, um, you know how to pray. And you pray in a, in a very real way. Uh, that I think it would be really helpful to people to hear, like we said, how do you pray? Um, and what I'd love you to, to ask you to do is to, is, uh, we haven't actually done this on, on a pod. Actually, we did last, last time. Um, my friend Lorne prayed the, the, the Lord's Prayer with a Scottish oh, yeah. accent. It was the Scottish Lord's Prayer. It's fantastic. But um, can you pray for maybe someone listening to this? Because I guarantee that someone will listen to this um, and will have been in a similar situation that you were in as a kid. Yeah. And um, can you pray for them right now? Yeah, uh, let's do that. As we close, would you do that? Yeah, do that. So if you just want to take a moment to just still yourself and... Yeah. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity to speak together um, and to to share your love as we have this past um, few moments, Lord, of how you've transformed my life. And Father, I pray for people that have listened to this story and are suffering with their own addictions or suffering as victims. Father, I pray that you surround them now. Give them the peace that's beyond all understanding right now in their heart and reveal yourself to them in a way that they cannot deny that it's you. Holy Spirit, consume them now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Gav. Um, soon to be the Reverend. One day. Amazing. <laughs> it's been great to chat. Thanks for being with us. You've been listening to Faith with Haith. See you again soon. Much love.